so that was that was what kicked the show off really was just me being like exhausted and wanting to do something that wasn't just sitting at a computer tapping on buttons and hating myself you know yeah um instead i wanted to talk to people and hate myself Internet, you are listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things. Um, I'm Luke T. Harrington, award-winning novelist, best-selling humorist, and despite what IMDb will tell you, I am not a porn star. Um, you can look though; there is a there is a porn star. On IMDb named Luke Harrington. I have not uh, seen his works. I'm sure they're uh, okay. Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that now you know why I use my middle initial uh, for my professional work. So um, yeah. So here we are uh, at the end of season two of Changed My Mind. Um, and I and my producer, Blake, thought we would change things up a little bit for the season finale. Um, so instead of me interviewing someone, I had Blake come on and interview me um, about basically what I've learned uh, from this experiment of interviewing people who've changed their minds about things so far. Um, what I've learned, why I did the show, what I've gotten out of it, and what my hopes are, uh, for the future of the show and my career. Um, so, uh, I'm going to go ahead and flip you over to Blake interviewing me and I will see you on the other side. Are there any episodes that you wish hadn't been done or perhaps you had taken an entirely different approach to the issue. Gosh, I see, I've seen these questions and I, I should have thought about them. Uh, <laughs> obviously I didn't, um, wished hadn't been done. Yeah. I mean, it's been a mixed bag. Uh, let me, let me put it that way. Um, you know, the, the hardest part of doing an interview podcast like this is, always finding guests, you know, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you're not like incredibly famous, uh, which obviously I am. So I, I don't know, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so sometimes there, there are like people who pitch an episode to you and then you interview them and it just doesn't go the way you thought it might, you know? <laughs> um, and that's not always a bad thing, uh, but sometimes sometimes it's a little bit hard to I don't know try to get try to get it back on track. Um, I do I do feel a little bad um, calling people out by name, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I might as well. Um, <laughs> about four four episodes ago, uh, I interviewed a, a woman named Maggie Miller Jenkins, and she she was um, I, I had had no interaction with her prior to the show really aside from just setting up the interview um she was pitched to me by her husband who was an old high school friend of mine um 
And he said, you know, the way he put it was like, after my wife got divorced, she thought she'd never get married again, but then she married me. And I, I you know, I thought that could be a really interesting conversation. Um, so I went into the, you know, I, I went into the show saying like, uh, you know, I, I want to know why she changed her mind about getting married. And, you know, as we were talking, it became really clear she hadn't actually changed her mind about anything, <laughs> you know, except for the fact that uh, she did get married. But she, she was very clear the marriage was one of convenience for legal yeah. and financial purposes. Um, I mean, you listen to the show, you know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. Um, and I was just like, well, where do I take this conversation now? Um, you know, what, is, what does it mean <laughs> why am I, why am I doing this show called change my mind and talking to people who haven't actually changed their minds about anything? Um, that's the one that sticks out. Um, and hopefully she's not listening to this episode because I don't want to, <laughs> yeah. I don't want her to feel bad, but, uh, does that, does that answer the question? What was the question yeah. again? Yeah. So it's, it's basically any episode that you wish hadn't been done or perhaps you had taken an entirely different approach to. Yeah, um, that's that's definitely the one that uh, the one that sticks out. Okay. Um, Would you have gone a different approach on it instead of just not doing it, or or what? What specifically about it would you have changed, or would you have just not done it? I I feel like that's one where it would have been really helpful to sort of know the story in advance. Yeah. Um, you know, I I don't <laughs> I, I I have a script that I send to guests beforehand so that they can look it over and prepare if they want. Um, I don't like demand that they write out answers and send them to me because that just seems like, you know, it seems like a pretty big ask um, for people who have lives and that sort of thing, you know, and, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, they're, they're coming on the show in exchange for at most publicity, right? Like if, yeah. if they have a book out or something. Um, so, you know, some people have like, written their answers out and sent them to me. And that, that has been helpful sometimes. Um, but yeah, if I, if I had had more of a sense of the shape of the story, I felt like I could have guided the conversation a little bit better. Um, yeah. as it was, it, I feel like it just kind of got out of my hands and I was just like, I have no idea why I'm even doing this episode now. <laughs> and you were kind of just along for the ride. Pretty much. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, I think of the show as mainly just, winding people up and letting them go, you know, showcasing mm -hmm. people how they are. Um, even if I, you know, don't really relate to how they are, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, no, I mean, there's nothing I particularly regret because this is a show about people, you know, and these people, mm -hmm. you know, pe pe all kinds of people exist and are out there. And I don't, I don't regret showing them to the world the way they are, you know? Yeah. And so. I think that's a, I think that's probably the best way to do it. I, in theory, that's what good interviewing should do is to let them just be who they are and to present their best ideas and their best selves for the public to scrutinize or to enjoy or whatever it may be. So sure. Yeah. And that's the goal. And sometimes I hit the target and, I don't know. Sometimes yeah. I don't, I guess, but <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Well, this is kind of digging into more of your technique, but has your question list changed over time? And the second part, how did making those changes better reflect your purpose with the podcast? <laughs> 
Yeah, the answer, the first answer to the first question is it really hasn't. Um, I, um, when I was, when I was preparing for the show, and this would have been way back in like the spring of 2019, I think, mm-hmm. uh, started recording the show in the summer of uh, 2019. Um, when I was preparing for the show, I, I really did want to have like a rock solid, set of 15 to 20 questions that I could just reuse in every episode. So, you know, I wrote a draft, I wrote another draft, I drafted it a few times just to make sure the questions were saying what I really wanted to say. Um, and then when I did, when I recorded the pilot episode, uh, with my friend, film critic, Kevin McLinathan, shout out Mm -hmm. to Kevin, if he's listening, um, he did something that I, I, I thought was really interesting, uh, which was to, you know, draw heavily from like books and films that has shaped his thinking. So I think I, after that, I did add like a little side note of like, are there any books or films that shaped your thinking or something yeah. like that? Um, but no, I've just been, I've been reusing the same set of questions. Um, what I have done is started worrying about the questions themselves less, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote questions originally cause I was scared, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I hadn't, I, I, I'm not at my core much of a journalist. Like I hadn't done a ton of interviewing, so I really wanted to have a list of questions in front of me. Um, but as I've gone on doing the show, uh, I've, you know, I've come to realize what I really should be focusing on is just kind of letting people tell their story. Um, so I've, I've really just kind of focused less on asking questions and more on just kind of just trying to wind people up and let them go. You yeah. know? Um, and the questions are there in case I need something to fall back on. But I really try to ask open-ended questions as much as I can Um, I mean, often I don't even ask questions. I just kind of prompt people, you know, like I'll start the, I'll start the talk off with something really general. Like, I understand you were raised Pentecostal. Can you talk about that? You know, um, and usually (laughs) with, with good guests, that's all I really need to say. Um, because I've, I've found that the show really is better when I talk less, Mm -hmm. you know, um, which is why I'm talking through this whole episode now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're in the hot seat. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's really the change. The questions have undergone is like, I, I still send people to questions to try to get them to think them through, but I don't, don't spend a lot of time actually asking them. You know, I don't, I don't try to, I don't try to force them to happen. Um, yeah. So would you say in light of those cha- the, those questions not really changing over this time that you've gotten better at picking up something that has piqued your interest in words that they've said and kind of dug in further? Like, have you gotten better at the improv aspect of interviewing? I like to think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, obviously you get more comfortable as you go. Mm-hmm. Um I still get, to be honest with you, I still get super nervous before interviewing people. I don't know oh, why I do exactly. <laughs> um, but you just, I, I mean, I guess because you just ne- never know how it's going to go. Um, yeah. And <laughs> it's always possible you end up 
stuck with someone who clearly hates you for an hour. That hasn't happened yet, thankfully. You know, I, I, f- I found that the more I think of it as having a conversation, you know, the, the more interesting the show becomes, you yeah. know. Um, I used to take notes when I was interviewing. Uh, I never really could get that to work. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I would always write, like, they would say something interesting, but then they would blow right past, and I would write it down to bring it up later. But, you know, then by the time I had a minute to say something, like, it was, like, super old news, and it was just like, mm-hmm. you know, I... But, um... So I've gotten a lot more casual about it. Um, it's gotten... Uh, less about less about really trying to nail down answers to p- specific questions and more about just listening to people because, you know, this is super trite, but it's true. Everybody has a story and everyone's story is different. Yeah. Um, you know, so my goal is always to try to, you know, shape that story into a clear narrative as much as I can, but you know, at the same time, not try to force it into a box it's not going to fit into. Yeah. So one of your listeners noticed that sometimes you had different guests who changed their minds in opposite directions on the same issue. Did you have any specific observations about those pairings? That's a good question. Um, We've done a lot of... uh, I'm I'm curious as to what what this uh, questioner was referring to specifically because, mm-hmm. I mean, we've done a lot, a lot of like religious changes of mind. Um, a lot of I was a Christian and now I'm not a Christian, or yeah. I I uh, was not a Christian and now I am a Christian. Um, and that's just. Like, I feel like, I feel like the season's been a little heavy on that, to be honest. Um, but it's just kind of what I had access to. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm just someone who talks about religion a lot. So if you're not into that, the show's probably not for you. Um, (laughs) and nothing else I do is like the harder I try not to write about God and religion, the more I end up writing about it. So, um, you're 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 preaching to the choir here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we've done a lot of a lot of back and forth on the Christian to not or not Christian to not not Christian. Um, and I am kind of trying. I am kind of trying to think if I learned anything from that. Um, like. In in a sense, for me, it's it came down to a question of like, was there anything you noticed that spoke specifically to where they landed on that question? Like, was it a was it a social status? Was a gender? Was it you know what what asked like could could you pin it down to any specific thing that kind of led to where they fell on that that issue? Yeah, I mean. I don't know if this is a be- this is the best answer for this question because this is mm-hmm. this is a bit more of a general observation. Um, but I I feel like so many of the mind changes I've explored have been, and it, maybe maybe this I don't know if some people might uh, consider this unfair. Um, 
but so many of it, it seemed like so much of it is determined less by what ideas people find intellectually convincing or even emotionally satisfying and more by just what communities people want to belong to. Yeah. Um, does that seem really cynical? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, I think it's pretty realistic. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't know what, what exactly to do with that. Um, I, <laughs> the previous episode, I, you know, I, I talked to, um, Matt Ruff, um, our very famous mutual friend, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> who, if you, if you haven't listened to the episode, uh, listeners, you really, really should, um, Matt Ruff, author of Lovecraft Country and many other popular novels, um, he told me something I just, I can't get out of my head, you know, about um, morality and language, um, which is that I, I, I can't even do justice to how he put it now. Um, but, you know, he, he said that mor- mor- what he said was something like morality is a lot like a lot like language and that you're raised with a certain system mm-hmm. and as you grow you can expand that system or add to it or even modify it as you need to um or even learn a new like you can learn a new language but you still have a native system of thought and it's what you believe is a lot like the language you speak and that it's less about what's objectively right or wrong and more about who you are or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that to me, like it struck me because it seemed like such a perfect summary (laughs) in a lot of ways of like what I've learned from doing this, you know, Mm -hmm. is that people, People have the beliefs they have because they absorb them from the community they exist in. Um, and for people who changed their beliefs, it was almost always because they had joined a different community or because they were aspiring to join a different community. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, if you want me to get personal, like I, I could talk about that a bit. Um, Go for it. <laughs> because you know, I mean, I I was raised Presbyterian, and now I'm a Lutheran. Which I mean, to listeners who aren't Christian, that that sounds like barely a jump at all, and maybe maybe that's true. Um, but I, you know, I remember thinking when I was a kid, you know, a very Presbyterian kid, like obviously Presbyterianism is true. You know, look at all the Bible verses that agree with it, et cetera, et cetera. If people would just read the Bible, they'd all be Presbyterian. Um, now, through a, <laughs> a long series of events, uh, I ended up, you know, unchurched in my late 20s. Um, not, not really out of a desire not to go to church, but just because my wife had been going through a crisis of faith and we just 
couldn't go back to the church, the Presbyterian church we'd been going to and that sort of thing. Um, and we eventually found our way to a Lutheran church that we really loved. Um, so I now had this strong desire <laughs> to join a Lutheran church. And I started reading, the, you know, the Lutheran confessions and stuff and looking at what the uh, church fathers had to say about various issues that Presbyterians and Lutherans disagreed on. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, there's all sorts of good reasons to be Lutheran that I had completely missed. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but like it didn't start with me like just picking up the Lutheran confessions and being intellectually like, hmm, like what? what does the Bible say? Like it was, it was me like really wanting to join a Lutheran church. So I was obviously very motivated to um, change my thinking. Um, well, and to be fair, uh, you were raised in the Orthodox Presbyterian church, right? Correct. Yeah. Which is not just a quote unquote Presbyterian church. <laughs> that's, it's, that's, it's, like, that's super conservative. It's a pretty hard, hardcore yeah. Calvinist so, uh, church body. They, yes. They would have issues with the Lutherans. <laughs> yes, they would. <laughs> On a number of different doctrinal uh, areas. So, yeah, no, I mean, my parents sent me to a Lutheran elementary school when okay. I was a kid. And I, I remember you know, kind of deliberately getting into arguments with people there, you know, and trying to prove them wrong. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was a little Presbyterian kid. What are you going to do? Would you say um, you were trying to, quote unquote, change their mind? Yes, I was. <laughs> and I did not have any success that I know of. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I if, if there's one lesson... I've gotten out of the show. It's that, you know, people change their minds because of relationships, you know, yeah. not be, not because of facts, not because of feelings. Um, although those obviously matter, but, um, ultimately what really gets people to change their minds is the people they have relationships with. Um, mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't know to some, maybe to some people that sounds really obvious, uh, or a little bit kumbaya or whatever, you know, but, um, I mean, if there's one lesson from the show, it's that if you want to change someone's mind, you have to first be their friend. Mm -hmm. yeah. That makes sense. Um, so you mentioned this with, with Matt's um, thoughts about morality and language. But what are some other areas, um, some like one-offs or some thoughts that other guests have that stuck with you that weren't necessarily about the episode topic? but we're kind of just tangents. Yeah. Um, I want to give a, a shout out to uh, Tom Darrow on that. Um, who's, you know, a, a friend of mine. He came on the show uh, last season, actually, to talk about um, how the alleged pagan origins of Christmas are bunk. Um, <laughs> that's, what we, that was, that's what the conversation was about. Um but somehow at the end of the conversation, we arrived at this um, discussion of, you know, logic versus emotions, which is obviously kind of one of the overarching themes of the show. Um, but, um, yeah, he had some really what I thought were profound thoughts um, or profound observations, at least, um, about like how... Um, I, I'm trying not to sound insulting because I don't mean it in an insulting way, but like 
incapable uh, people without emotions are, you know, mm -hmm. like people suffering from severe depression, you know, like it's, I mean, if you've experienced severe depression, you know, it's not about like feeling sad. It's about like yeah. just having your emotions switched off. Um, and how, when that happens, like <laughs> the way he put it was, um, yeah, e even, even like making a sandwich becomes an arduous task because suddenly you realize it's 10,000 tiny insignificant decisions of like, do I get the knife out first? Do I get the bread out first? Do I get the peanut butter out first? You know, that was, <laughs> that was how he put it. Um, which I, you know, like I've never had severe, severe depression. So I, I don't know if I've ever experienced that directly from the inside, but I can relate to it for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, People talk a lot <laughs> about logic versus emotions, you know, um, like, well, my opinion, my views are logical. You're just being emotional. Well, you know, I don't, I don't think that's true. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think that, um, there's this big chasm between reason and emotions in the human brain. Um, like reason is, it's, it's a machine and its outputs are as good as its inputs, you know? Yep. Um, and what your inputs are is determined, here we go, by your emotions, you know? Um, so Plot you can, twist. yeah. So, I mean, you can reason your way to like a grand plan for saving thousands of lives, but the fact that you want to save lives, that's emotion, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, to say it's only the logical thing to do, well, I mean that's only true if you and your listener agree on what's emotion, what what the emotionally desirable outcome is. Yes, you know, um, there's plenty of utilitarian arguments out there that would uh, go against a normal person's emotional response. True, so. true. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, so. Did any guest come close to making you change your mind about something? Yes. Um, I'll say there's there's one guest in particular who sticks out in my mind this way. Uh, and that was Ian Bars, um, who he's a you know he's he's a mutual friend of ours. I think he's mm -hmm. a kind of a occasional radio commentator on an Iowa station. That's the thing he's closest to being known for. Um, but um, yeah, he came on in, um, I think it was the late, the tail end of the first season, maybe the early second. That's, that sounds um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I believe it was like summer of 2020. Yeah. The second to last episode, no fourth, fourth from last episode uh, or thir third from last. But, let Eventually me try that you'll again. Get it right, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> third from last, third from last episode of season one. Um, so yeah, he came on to talk about gun control, um, which was a really interesting conversation. Um, and he uh, is a British expatriate living in the U.S. now. Um, so he kind of took gun control for granted as a good thing growing up in merry old England um, kind of opened his mind to the other side of things. Um, 
mm-hmm. when he moved to rural Iowa. Because what is there to do in rural Iowa besides shoot at stuff? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, you know, I mean, he he's like, I personally am sort of a leftist person by instinct on political issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean... I, Hanging out on that end of things, I, you know, tend to at least used to buy into a lot of the arguments for gun control. Um, but, um, you know, as, as you look at the, the data, the history of gun control and that sort of thing, you start to get a little more skeptical. Um, and, it, you know, I mean, the conversation with, um, with Ian might have, might have clinched it for me. Um, just because he, he, you know, he had clearly thought about, like, the things people are worried about, mass shootings mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, and had come to pretty reasonable conclusions um, based on data. Like, the reality is there's not a lot of reason to believe that increased gun control would do much to stop mass shootings, you yeah. know, um, which I I say that somewhat begrudgingly, Um but, uh, I mean, I, I think it's true, you know, and I, I think um, he, he made some pretty good arguments, and I've seen pretty good arguments elsewhere. And, you know, I, I, I went to, um, obviously, I record a, a monologue at um, the end of every show, and, you know, I went to record the monologue of, of that, and I was like, I, I just kind of... Um, <laughs> was like, yeah, I, you know, I got to be honest about this one. I, I, um, it's definitely more of a cultural problem than anything. Um, yeah, it's there's a lot more complexity to that issue than most people on either side want to give it credit for. Yeah, and I mean, what no one, what no one uh, on the leftist end wants to acknowledge is that the history of gun control in America has been incredibly racist and. Mm-hmm. Often motivated by the goals of the political right, you know, yep. exactly. Um, which doesn't, you know, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean there's not a good way to go about it, but maybe it means we should be a bit more skeptical of it than we are. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I feel like in in some ways, I'm still persuadable that there is a realistic political answer to. Um, gun violence in the u.s but i just don't know what it is um that's fair so from all the conversations you've had uh during these two seasons what have you learned about the actual act of changing one's mind and do you have any theories about what happens or how the changes come about yeah i mean we've talked about this quite a bit already i feel like Mm -hmm. um like I said, it really is about community, um, you know, and the, la- the language metaphor is 100% on there, right? Like mm-hmm. if you hang out with people who talk a lot of street slang, eventually you're going to pick up street slang into your vocabulary, you know? Um, if you hang out with people who, you know, fake British accents and obsessively never end sentences with prepositions, you're probably (laughs) going to pick up some of that. Um, Gosh, I, you know, I lived in, I was raised in the North, but I lived in uh, Oklahoma for 10 years and I say y'all now all the time, you know, I, 
But um, now I live in Wisconsin. I've lived here for three years, and so my O's are getting longer and longer. <laughs> you know, um, my uh, short A sounds are getting sharper and sharper. Um, do you want to beg with your groceries? Um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean that that is that is the main lesson I, I've I've taken out of this is that you just the values and views of the community around you are going to rub off on you, whether you want them to or not. Um, and you know, the best way to like, if you want to change your own mind, the best way is to change your location, you know, or change who you spend time with, uh, which for the last year has been nobody for most of us, but, um, uh, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think if there have been any other big lessons. Um, I will say this, that, you know, when I, when I started the show, I was really hoping to find more people who, for whom it was like a flipped switch, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, realistically I knew maybe I wasn't going to find people like that. Um, but in practice, it's maybe been even harder than I thought, you know? Um, for a lot of people, the story has kind of always been something along the lines of like, I always just assumed this was true. You know, I hadn't done that much thinking about it, but I just absorbed these ideas from the people around me. And as I grew older, my views have become more nuanced, you know, um, which is totally fine. You know, like mm-hmm. I, that's not, it's not a complaint, um, but it is, it is a reminder that a changing of a changing of the mind is often more about more like an opening of the mind or mm-hmm. a, just a, a learning process or a broadening of the mind, um, which is good. You know, I think that is something all of us should aspire to, you know, yeah. to even if we never change our minds about anything, we should always be seeking to learn more, seeking to experience more. Um, and to understand others. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's what the show's about, you know, like it's, it's always been about, I need to have people on the show that maybe, you know, I, I don't agree with that. I, I haven't interacted with much that I can learn something from, mm-hmm. you know, and may, maybe listeners who have never, met a person like this or even listeners who meet people like this every day will learn something from hearing how they think, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so going on from here, because there will be more episodes, what topics would you like to explore in the future? Like if you had a dream, like a bucket list of, of topics that you would want to just personally you would enjoy having those conversations, what would they be? Yeah. Um, I really like kind of the quirkier episodes Mm -hmm. that I've done. Um, like politics and religion are fine, but they get old sometimes, you know? Um, I would love to do more stuff about little things, pop culture. Um, I don't know, maybe like etiquette or something that could be interesting. Um, or 
I don't know, like, you know, maybe like uh, political issues that are less hot button for people, like maybe net neutrality or infrastructure or something. Um, I'd love to get away from Christianity a little bit and do stuff about other religions, um, which is, you know, tricky in this part of the world because, you know, the majority of people who consider themselves religious are Christian, but I'd love to do like, I don't know, I used to be Muslim and now I'm a Hindu or something, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I could talk about that as intelligently as I can Christianity, but I'd love to learn. Well, and to go um, to go back to what you were saying about your technique is that you don't really necessarily have to have that knowledge. You just let them speak. So, yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah and I'd, lo- I'd love to do, you know, like my dream episode is something like I, I used to be a hardcore Trekkie and now I just can't get enough Star Wars or something like that, you yeah. know? Um, or I don't know. I used to be like super into hip hop and now I, all I listen to is the blues, you know, something like that. I'd, I'd love to do more, uh, fun pop culture stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. So if you could interview any person living now, who would it be and why? I think I, I probably at the top of my list would be Jonathan Haidt, mm-hmm. um, who is you know he's not quite a household name. I don't know. He's written a bestseller or three. Um, he is for listeners who don't know. He's a moral psychologist. I think I've mentioned him on the show once or twice. Um, he's actually been a really big influence on my thought and actually how I approach this show. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've heard interviews with him where he said at one time I probably would have ended up as a new atheist, um, which is kind of the brand of like angry intolerant atheism that got really <laughs> trendy in the post 9-11 world. Yeah. Uh, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, uh, Sam Harris, um, that, that sort of crowd. The guy that no one remembers. Yeah. There were, there were, (laughs) there were supposedly four horsemen of the atheist apocalypse. That, that was how they referred to all of them. But I can, I can only ever remember three. I have no idea who the fourth one was. Um, somebody who's listening and knows can, can write in or I can just Google it after the conversation. Or anyway, just slam the po- your fist down on the, <laughs> on the desk in front of you. <laughs> anyway, the point is, um, you know, John Haidt, uh, he was just really committed to, um, you know, secular progressivism at one point. Um, but then instead of, you know, just like doubling down on that, he said, I'm going to devote my life and career to studying the foundations of morality and why people believe what they believe um, and has really come around on a lot of things. Um, I actually, I heard an interview uh, with him a while ago where he identified as a moderate now, which was fascinating to me because I mean, for years he kept insisting he was a liberal or a progressive, mm-hmm. um, but he's, I don't know. He's, he's really, I guess softened his political views a lot. I mean, I mean, based in part on his research and in part on some of the weird extremism he's seen from the left and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would just, I would be really interested in talking to him. Um, I feel like he, 
he and I would have a lot to talk about. He, he would probably have a lot of insight on uh, why people change their minds. Um, so yeah, he'd definitely be at the top of my list. And it'd be kind of super meta for him to talk about something <laughs> that significant to him that he changed his mind on, and then yeah. why. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, for sure. He could self uh, self uh, psychologize himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, more of a personal uh, question for you: How have your writing ambitions changed during this time that you've done the podcast? Has the podcast made you want to explore areas of writing that you never thought to write about before? Gosh, that's really interesting. Because, um, like. <laughs> My writing career has felt like a roller coaster the whole time mm-hmm. I've been doing this show. Um, this show has been like the one constant thing in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reality is, but before the um, before I started doing this show, I really had no desire to uh, be be a quote unquote journalist. Um, and in a lot of ways, I still don't. Um, like, I'm someone. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like it's hard. It's hard to talk about this without being like too precious about yourself. Um, yeah. But if listeners will will indulge me, um, that's what they're here for. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> um, my thing with my writing career has always been like what I love is the written word. You know, um, like I don't necessarily want to write any one particular thing. I just love to write. Um, and when I started, when I started like getting serious about writing or however you want to put it, um, my thing was always, I'm just going to write what I feel like writing until something really takes off. Um, or until I like hit on what I want to do for the rest of my life. And really neither one of those things ever happened. (laughs) Um, nothing really took off and I still want to write everything. Um, so here we are. Um, yeah, the truth is, the truth is, if I could be any one thing with regard to writing, I would be a novelist. Um, yeah. That seems to be what I get the most pleasure out of doing. But my career as a novelist is going nowhere fast. Um, and meanwhile, the show is doing fairly well. And I just you know, a few months ago made my debut with a big publisher as a quote unquote Christian humorist, I guess, Mm -hmm. Um, which is, I don't know. It's a cringy thing to call yourself, but it is what it is, I guess. (laughs) When, when do you think you'll go on the circuit? The, the, the Christian comedy circuit. (laughs) Yeah. Me and John Crystal team up for a tour. Gosh. Whoa. Um, Whoa. He's been canceled, dude. I I know. I know. So who's who's left? Mark Lowry is he even yeah, still sure, active? He's got to be. There's this. always Brian Regan who's not a Christian, but people like to kind of bring him in to the Christian home. Oh really? <laughs> At least I, that was the the way I grew up. Uh, Brian uh, Regan was the safe comedian for interesting. Christians. Is so. he? Does he? Do, I, I feel like I've listened to some of his stuff. Is he? Is he like unusually clean or something? I, yeah, I him okay. him and Jim Gaffigan are kind of known as the as the clean comedians. So got it, got it. Yeah. Well, there it is. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, the reality is I I don't really know. Um, Like if this show like really takes off and starts like making a bunch of money, (laughs) that would be great. Um, 
but it's also not what I aspire to do in my heart of hearts, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, if if people want to hear a big, long story, should I tell this story? I don't know. I don't Go know if it's it. an interesting story. You can always cut it out. <laughs> it's true. That's true. Um, when I started the show, I started the show because I was in, like, the lowest of low places. Like, I had devoted the entire past... 18 months to writing two different books. Um, uh, one nonfiction book, which is now has is now out there as murder bears, moonshine and mayhem. Uh, that was the Christian humor book. And also a novel that I'm still working on getting published. Like I, I had written those books basically at the same time, going back and forth between them, just threw my heart and soul into both of them. And couldn't find a home for either one of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like I had been contracted to a publisher for murder bears and they had dropped me at the last second. Like the thing was getting, you know, the thing was in copy editing. It was basically ready to go. I I'd poured my heart and soul into writing it and they were like, yeah, we're not actually publishing this. Um, <laughs> and the novel, like I, I didn't have a publisher for it, but like everybody who read it seemed to love it. They all were like, like, I was like, man, I'm onto something with this book, but I just, I was submitting it to agent after agent after agent and even a, a couple of indie publishers and just nobody was interested. And I, you know, I got to, um, the summer of 20, 2019, um, and my kids were getting off school. So I was suddenly going to have way less time to write. And I was just sitting on these two manuscripts that like nobody was interested in. And I was, I was just in this, place of like I never want to write again screw this I'm doing a podcast you know (laughs) so that was that was what kicked the show off really was just me being like exhausted and wanting to do something that wasn't just sitting at a computer tapping on buttons and hating myself you know yeah um Instead, I wanted to talk to people and hate myself. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's that's kind of where the show came came from. And, you know, I released a couple of episodes, but before I knew it, I was getting all this feedback of, like, this is a really great idea for a show. Like, uh, I'm really into your show. You know, I was like, well, well, now i got to keep doing the thing because people are listening to it, you know? Like... Like, I, I really thought that no one would ever listen to it, and it was mainly just an excuse for me to scream into the void, um, which I still do if you stick around for the monologues at the end. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, the show started taking off, and, and then by the end, of, the end of that summer, I had just, with very little effort, had managed to find a publisher for Murder Bears. Uh, HarperCollins ended putting that out ended up putting that out. Um, and so then it was, well, I guess my writing career is back on, but now I have to keep doing this show constantly because I need to stay in front of people's, in the front of people's brains. So they remember to buy my book when it comes out, you know? So, uh, what I ended up doing was going even harder on the show and some other stuff to promote my work, you know? Um, and then the book came out and it didn't really go anywhere, you know, <laughs> like it, it sold okay. Um, it didn't really get a lot of attention from, you know, any major publications, Christian or secular. Um, we got, got a, a review in Publishers Weekly and that was 
kind of the end of it. Like that was like all the attention it got. Um, and so I'm, I'm now I'm sitting here on the other side of that going, well, what do I really want out of my writing career? And yeah. still being kind of like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> like I still have this, I still have this novel that I, I can't seem to find a home for. Um, but that's what I really want to be doing is finding a place for that. Um, you know, and maybe I should, um, maybe I should be working on my next nonfiction book, but I just can't necessarily work up a ton of motivation for that because, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you think the next big thing is going to lead to something yeah. and then it doesn't. And you're just like, well, what am I doing wrong? Like, um, so I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm saying on, that you're living the life of a writer. I, yes, that is, <laughs> that is what I'm saying. Um, you know, and like I said, the show, this show, this particular show has been, far more successful than I expected it to. So maybe I need to lean into this, but I don't know exactly what that means. Um, maybe I should be more of a journalist. I don't know. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, I definitely still want to do pretty much everything. I mm -hmm. definitely still think of myself as, more of a novelist, even if nobody seems to care about my novels. Um, <laughs> that sounds so pathetic, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think most writers who have not hit the big time will understand that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, who even reads novels, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I sure don't. I can't even read. So. <laughs> If they don't have the name King or Clancy at the top, nobody cares. Exactly. Um, but I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's, I don't know what's next for me. Um, I have actually taken a job at grunge.com, um, which I say this affectionately. They're just kind of a glorified clickbait factory. Um, <laughs> I actually, I actually like grunge quite a bit. Um, so, I, I don't mean to disparage them. It's, it's a lot of, um, it's, you know, it's a lot of people who care about writing and care about publishing quality content on, you know, a limited budget and time frame. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been kind of interesting. Um, cause it's like, you just, you sit down at your computer and you're on the clock for a couple hours and you write as much as you can and then you clock out and you're done. Um, which is a system I've never seen another uh, place use. Um, so it's been oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah, oh. but it's it's really just been kind of a kind of an excuse to just crank out content, like like to reteach myself how to crank out material. Because um, you know, when you're on the downside of a book launch, you just it's hard to focus enough to get anything done. You know. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's what I'm doing these days. Is I'm I'm writing clickbait for grunge which is just kind of a weird and wild fact sort of site um well isn't that ultimately the end of all writing these days <laughs> yes it is it is <laughs> so if listeners want to check it out it's grunge.com there's a couple of my pieces up there and uh probably very many more soon so so 
to to kind of finish finish off this main section of questions before I kind of dig into uh, three of my own questions that I kind of want to ask you. Um, after seeing this wide breadth of, of people who have changed their mind, do you pity them for their weak convictions and lack of willpower? Or do you just shrug and say, there but for the grace of God go I? <laughs> yeah, I, I know this was a joke question someone <laughs> submitted. Uh, but there is, a, there is a kernel of truth to it, right? Um, which is that I worry... Sometimes, to the extent I worry about this show, which is not often because this show rules, um, <laughs> but I, I worry um, sometimes that um, the premise of this show kind of valorizes changing your mind for its own sake, um, mm-hmm. which really isn't something I or anybody else should do, probably, um, because it's good to change your mind but only if you're wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, and some of, you know, some of this stuff is obviously, some of the stuff we talk about on the show is obviously a ma- matter of opinion, right? Like, mm-hmm. would it be good to have universal basic income? Well, you know, there are arguments for and against, and that's fine. Um, but, you know, we talk, <laughs> we talk facts a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned the, the episode I, I did with Tom Darrow, which was, it was a very fact-based episode. Like, it was a question of, is there real evidence that there are pagan roots for, for uh, Christmas and Easter? Um, and, you know, if you look into it, you'll find the answer is no. Like, there's just not a lot of evidence out there. Uh, there's basically no primary sources and no secondary sources for the first 1,900 years of Christianity, give or take. Um, and so, you know, when you find out you're wrong, if you think, hey, hey, Christmas and Easter are secretly pagan, if you find out you're wrong about that, like, it's good to change your mind, you know? <laughs> but if you're right, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, there is, there is something good to be said for being open-minded, um, but there is also obviously something good about not being fickle, right? Having the courage mm-hmm. of your convictions. Um, I don't know. I, I always... There's this weird thing um, I experience sometimes, which is, like, I have a, I have a friend who I respect, uh, but I disagree with about, about something, you know? Um, and maybe I'll argue or debate with them occasionally, uh, but I, you know, I... I think of them as intelligent and reasonable and <laughs> um, trying to do the right thing and that sort of thing. And, you know, sometimes I will win them over to my side, um, but then I'll feel bad about it. You know, like I'll, I'll be like, oh, I guess you, your convictions weren't as strong as I thought. And mm-hmm. now I don't know if I respect you anymore. You know, I, <laughs> I don't know. Is is that a weird thing? I, I don't know. I, I feel... Yeah. Um, well, anything, it's, it seems like it's the struggle of the current situation of the difference between being someone that is principled in their stance and someone who is just being a troll or being um, certain without any actual support. Right. we see a lot of the latter. <laughs> yeah. Whereas we often don't see as much of the former these days. 
Yeah. And it's been like, it's been so weird with like Trump, who is quite literally a professional troll. Um, yeah. yeah, watching him slowly take over the mind of the Republican Party, you know, and then seeing all these friends I have who are like, who, you know, five, six years ago were like genuinely principled conservatives, like slowly drift leftward just out of spite for Trump, you know? Mm. Um, and it's, it's like, I mean, it, on the one hand, I guess I'm happy to have you more on my side, but on the other, it's just kind of sad to see you abandon what I know are principled convictions mm -hmm. just because of this one horrible guy, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, there, there is, there is something kind of, kind of tragic about that to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, definitely. Well, that's a. I feel like that's a good place to kind of move off into uh, some areas. Uh, in honor of the way you usually run this show, I've got three questions that I did not give you ahead of time um, <laughs> in order to kind of explore the ontology and epistemology of the world we live in. So are you oh, now you're just dropping big words to try to sound smart. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so my first question is, what is time? Is it merely an expensive, non-fungible token or a construct of our collective imaginations? It's the fourth dimension, man. <laughs> you just got to open your third eye and you'll see it. <laughs> well, fair enough. Fair enough. Question two. Do you believe in a thing called love? If so, why? I do believe in a thing called love. Just listen to the rhythm of your heart. <laughs> I'm glad you picked up on that. Uh, that was exactly what I was going for, and I'm, I'm, uh, I would have been sad if you hadn't have gotten that. So uh, you answered that perfectly, and I am going to give you points for that. Imaginary points, but points nonetheless. And my final question is, if you could punch anyone, why would it be me? I mean, it's, you just have this constant involuntary sneer on your face. It's... Um... <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? It's it's uh oh, it's it's it's, it's devastating. You're, you're basically Elvis, um, except not near as talented or good looking. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you practice, um, yeah. Now, if I, I guess could, you if, could say we both have a good the same amount of white fragility. If that's even a thing. <laughs> Fortunately, you have more facial fragility, so I would yeah, I would true. win. <laughs> um, I think if I could actually punch anyone, it would probably be Alec Baldwin. Beautiful. Like, who doesn't want to punch that guy, I right? Mean, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> He's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like his face is more punchable than yours, to be honest. Hey, I'll take it. it. <laughs> Any time I can avoid getting punched is a is a plus. So. <laughs> Well, that's all the questions I have, uh, and that's all the questions that the listeners gave. And so, uh, uh, thank you for answering them. Yeah, it's been fun, man. It's been fun. Um, and if you're a listener, this is our finale for uh, season two. But stick around. Don't don't uh, unsubscribe. We're going to be back in the fall. We got all sorts of big plans. Um, there will be giant lizards and clowns and I, I don't know. 
Um, it's going to be a regular carnival. Uh, it's going to be the most amazing carnival in the world. <laughs> um, we're going to launch this show into the stratosphere. That is my promise to you. <laughs> no, literally, we're going to be creating a, a, a ship and launching ourselves and then doing the podcast from that ship in the atmosphere. Elon Musk will be involved somehow. I'm exactly. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, Blake, do you want to tell people where they can find you? They can find me at uh, Twitter at Lost in Osmosis, and they can find uh, the podcasts I do. One is with uh, author Matt Roof, uh, 88 Names podcast, and then the other one is a podcast dedicated to Gross Point Blank, the film from 1997 uh, with Joe George, and it is currently, we're at episode 10. That is so weird to me that you do an entire podcast about a single movie. I, yeah, you're welcome. I, I confess I haven't listened to it. What do you talk about? <laughs> uh, so, so the whole point is to basically uh, figure out ways to talk about the same movie for that many episodes. <laughs> and so what we do is we take every artist on the soundtrack and we go through their, their discography one album at a time. That's actually really uh, interesting. We have and to then check that we, out. we do cast and crew of the film, and we go through their filmography one film at a time. And then we analyze the movie one minute at a time. Oh, my God. And then we do interviews, uh, hopefully, with cast and crew at some point, uh, or <laughs> musicians. Or uh, lately, we've been mainly doing interviews with people who have watched the film for the first time, so Joe and I can relive our uh, love of the film <laughs> through their... Their first viewing. <laughs> well, I have to be honest with you. I have not watched Gross Point Blank, so maybe oh. you'll watch it. And well, then, then that the means show. we need to have, have you on the show. <laughs> Do you guarantee it'll make me famous? Uh, I can't guarantee you, but we are officially on the Film Inquiry Network, so we do have a bigger audience than we did the first eight episodes. <laughs> well, there it is. There it is. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or at my website, LukeTHarrington.com. I know a guy um, a little bit. His name's Rob Crozy. I'm sure I'll get canceled for associating with him because he's a libertarian. Um, <laughs> I don't know him well. I used to interact with him some on Facebook. Uh, he wrote me a, a really nice blurb for my one published novel. Um, but he used to, um, he used to post on Facebook a lot, just pontificating about things. Um, and once he posted something that really stuck with me, um, it was just a question, you know, he said, can someone explain to me the the um, evolutionary explanation for the backfire effect? Um, it seems like knowing the truth would help a specimen to survive or something like that, you know? Um, now, if you're unfamiliar with the backfire effect, uh, we have talked about it a bit on this show. Um, it is a phenomenon that certain psychological experiments have found. Um, others have called it into question. 
Uh, but the idea is that people do not like having their minds changed, right? Um, and that if you present them with evidence that contradicts their views, they will dig in their heels and, um, and uh, commit to their original belief even harder, um, i.e. it would backfire, uh, hence the name. So, you know, he, he posted that and, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot in the years since. Um, now, as a libertarian, Rob tends to understand people purely as individuals. Um, so, you know, his, his take on it was obviously going to be like, wouldn't it be beneficial to the individual if it was easy to change your mind, to conform to reality, right? Um, but that's not really how people operate. And if there's one thing I've learned, it's that the survival purpose of ideas is not to ensure the longevity of the individual. It is to keep communities knit together because people don't survive as individuals. People survive as groups, as communities. And I think nine times out of 10, when the rubber meets the road, the survival of a community is tied to mutual trust and common goals more than it is knowledge of verifiable facts. Um, and not that the latter doesn't matter, but just that ultimately to the human species, the purpose that ideas serve is to hold communities together. Um, which means we all talk a big game about being open-minded. We all hold being open-minded as a value, at least in this post-liberal society. Um, but ultimately, there is a real cost to being genuinely open-minded, which is that eventually the facts are going to lead you to heterodox views, which will effectively ostracize you from almost any community um, because no community I know of has a total monopoly on truth. Um, anyway, uh, that's going to be it for this season. Um, we are going to go dark for a couple of months, but we will be back in the fall. Uh, with new episodes and some guests I'm really excited about. So please stay subscribed to the feed. Um, we got some uh, good stuff coming your way. Um, if you like what I'm doing and you want to support it, please take a second to go on Apple Podcasts and give it a little rating, a little review. Uh, we've been sitting at 19 uh, ratings for quite a while now, which is annoying because 19 is like the stupidest of the prime numbers. Am I right? I think I'm right. I'm always right. Um, <laughs> if you want to support me financially, uh, there is a Ko-Fi set up that is ko-fi slash change my mind. And you can just throw me a little tip there, any amount of $3 or a multiple thereof. Um, so yeah. 
apparently I'm a math nerd um, this time around. Um, <laughs> if you uh, don't just want to throw money at me, you can buy my book. Um, I actually do have two books out. Um, I, as I said, I published a novel. It's called Ophelia Alive, a ghost story. You can buy that on Amazon. Um, some random Instagram account just gave me a glowing review on it. So thank you, random Insta Instagram account. Um, I also have a nonfiction book, which I mentioned in the interview. It's called Murder Bears, Moonshine and Mayhem, Strange Stories from the Bible to Leave You Amused, Bemused, and Hopefully Informed, which you can buy wherever fine books about murderous bears are sold. Um, published by a Christian publisher, but written with a general audience in mind. It's for anyone in your life who would like to learn a little bit more about the Bible while giggling at butt jokes. Um, so there it is. Once again, we will be back in the fall with more Change My Mind. Please stick around. I want to thank my producer, Blake Collier, for coming on and interviewing me. I would like to thank my editor, Jonathan Clausen for editing the show. I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Um, please check them out at ravencreeksc.com. And finally, I want to thank you for listening to Change My Mind. I'm Luke T. Harrington, and please don't be afraid to change your mind. <laughs>